When I moved to New York, it was uh, I had a, a band previous to this um, called Akron Family. Yeah, of course. This psychedelic rock group, and we were yeah, we moved here and just got our start, and then all sort of dispersed. Um, you know, we having like gotten off the ground with our with that was you know enabled us to not have to be in New York anymore, and so I could afford a you know quality of life and still work what I do music, you know, um, and so chose Portland. Um, well, actually, I chose L.A. first, and I tried it for about a month, and then I realized I was not a car culture kind of guy. Yeah. And so, and, and I love L.A., don't get me wrong. It's a great, Oh, no, 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 I hate L.A., so you, okay. you know, feel free to just pile <laughs> okay, on. Cool. I'm from Northern California, so. Okay, there it is. Yeah, totally. That's right. Yeah, you just said that yeah. here. On a whim, we chose Portland, and um, and I just fell in love with it, and so, and I've got a good quality of life, and it's affordable, and it's, I mean, getting less and less so as it grows, but still for, you know. Compared to New York, much more affordable. So. It's interesting, though, that you say that you like had the, the freedom to move elsewhere because of the success, but I, I sort of view it as the opposite, right? That it takes a certain amount of success to actually be able to live here and be a creative person. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird balance. I mean, like when you're here in the first place, like you're hustling, you're working seven days a week just to float rent, and then yeah. you know, the in-between times that you do have. But I mean, you know, you're in your 20s and you're young enough and have enough energy to do that, that it's fine. And so, but, you know, at, at a certain point, you're just like, well, if I can still, you know, do music only and afford rent plus life, and all I have to do is move across the country, I'll take that. I've heard mixed things from a lot of people, whether or not it's a good place to actually start a band. As a startup, it's I would say it's a lot harder. Because, I mean, yeah. like, with, with Dana Bowie, it's, it's been, you don't get the exposure that you do in New York. You're not going, you know, you can't just play out seven nights a week and have a completely different audience. I mean, it's a much smaller market. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, that is definitely a challenge, but Small, I mean, smaller market being a bad thing, though. I mean, I, I would. Assume well, it's that like you definitely. I mean, it's it's like uh, Portland's a smaller market, but it's hyper focused, right? Hyper focused yeah. for sure. But I feel like it's kind of like I feel that I I know of bands that are playing, but I, it doesn't feel like it's like I don't know how to explain it. Actually, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of bands that move there thinking it's the same mentality as New York. A lot of exposure, a lot going on, and there is. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to get out beyond Portland if you really want to make a name for yourself. You mm -hmm. can't just do it in Portland. We're in New York. I feel like you can do that and get your network together and grow regionally. But in Portland, you have to go to Seattle. You have to go to Eugene. You have to spread out as much as possible and get the word out. Maybe it's a, it's a good place to sort of like foster that early on, but as far as actually yeah. like growing and staying mm -hmm. together as a band, it requires... Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, you said it was on a whim, but obviously yeah. like Portland is a place where a lot of people have been moving over the past for decade. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I was um, I had been there on tour and um, always enjoyed that city. And every time we went there, I would always kind of think about it. But like, oh, this is a really yeah. know, interesting town. It's very different from anything I was used to. It feels like you're camping all the time. Or it did back in, you know, 2010 sure. when I moved there. And that was cool. And I was just like, and well, like I was saying, we tried LA. And after about a month of that, we, um, Seth, my friend from Akron, A month? Yeah. I know. <laughs> it just took you a month to figure Dude. out that LA was not for you? It was like, well, I mean, I've been to LA a lot and like I was there, you know, I, I, for extended periods of time yeah. before this with our management was just what it takes to get your stuff together and move across the country. Yeah. You assume that you're going to be settled there or at least try it out for just, a yeah. little longer than a month. Well, I mean, like, you know, I was a nomadic person for the last 10 years yeah. before this because we were touring all the time yeah. and it really was no, I didn't feel unsettled in any way, you know? So it was just kind of like, I was just waiting for like the, the just the moment to just come together at the right yeah. time, you know, and it just didn't happen there. I was and the moment that I realized that it wasn't going to happen there, or at least now at that or at that point in time, was I was sitting in stopped traffic on the ten at one o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, heading to Santa Monica, and I'm just like, 
this isn't life. Like, what is this? You know, what am I doing here? Did you guys get a, a similar vibe in, in New York? I mean, we've all had those moments, obviously. And I think New York is basically a constant struggle of mm-hmm. love and hate. And, and I have that same impulse every time I go somewhere else. I imagine whether or not I can live there. Mm-hmm. And I've had those moments, you know, especially if like I've been between jobs or, you know, things aren't going great. Not really leaving my apartment, wondering why I'm paying like pr- New York prices to be there. Yeah. Was it a similar crisis? Like you'd been here for long enough and maybe it just wasn't a great fit for you? I think I was just, you know, tired of just like hustling all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was just, I just like I was saying earlier, like I saw a quality of life that was, you know, easily attainable and i was just like yeah i mean why not why am i struggling to just like yeah. know, float this rent on this apartment that isn't even my favorite apartment? i went to school in santa cruz and, mm-hmm. and i remember the first time i went back home and i was like oh yeah i've not experienced darkness and i haven't experienced silence like pure silence in a really long time yeah yeah and i i compared a lot to uh i don't know if you guys have meditated or try meditating mm-hmm. at all one of the common exercises that they have you do is to go through your body and to sort of, you know, loosen all of your muscles and, and unclench your jaw. You don't realize that you're walking around with your jaw clenched all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that is just sort of living, you know, in the modern world and how much of it is New York. But you go to a forest somewhere and you realize, oh, yeah, this is what it's like not being constantly stressed all the time. Yeah. And I mean, the forest bathing, man, that's like one of the most important things for me. Like and in Portland, it's like so easy to attain because you drive half an hour out of the city and you're there in the deep, you know the Willamette National Forest or Mount Hood or you go out towards the coast and you've got like all this amazing nature that you can just sit with and just like really like kind of just be on earth yeah. in like this amazing geography and it's like that's that to me was like what I really fell in love with when I got to Portland so more so than the music scene it was like the nature there and I was just like this is a good place for me to be and, and it felt very creative and, and it, it was I was able to just start writing music nonstop and kind of just kept on going from there so I kind of had the opposite effect on me it had the opposite effect on me when I moved here or Portland. So I lived in New York for 10 years. and You should mention, as you told me before, that you just got up a red eye. So if you forget where you are, that's probably yes, why. Yes, exactly. I still don't know I'm in New York, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, and like you were saying before, about eight years into New York, I just started staying at home, watching yep. Netflix, kind of relaxing or trying to. And I realized I don't need to be here anymore. So when I moved to Portland, the silence was eerie. And mm. it was something, it took me quite a long time to get comfortable with the slow pace environment and just everything around me like it was pretty intense like way less energy and but that's a good thing you know I started to appreciate a lot of nature like he was saying before like going to Mount Hood camping you know you could have moved it San Francisco and then Seattle right, and then step Portland down a bit really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no man just j- jump in you yeah. know <laughs> take the plunge but it was cool. I brought, you know, it's the 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 one thing that like stuck around the longest was the East Coast driving mentality. Yeah, and and that um, still kind of infects me a little bit, which is awful. I, I hate heard Portland it. drivers are terrible. Is yeah. that well? When I when I first moved there, they were just very slow. Yeah, and like it it seemed like nobody had any intention when they were behind the wheel of a car, and I was kind of like so frustrated by it all the time. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you not driving right now when your car's on? The road, <laughs> you know. So I get that walking behind people in the city, and I wonder if, like, if if I leave New York for what, are you enough, a tourist if it'll or, go yeah. away. Yeah, you must have somewhere to go. Yeah, exactly. We need like, are you places. just you're just dawdling on the sidewalk? <laughs> this makes no sense to me. Totally. You're clearly going from point A to point B. It's so frustrating. Yeah, some people just have all the time in the world. It's true, man. I, well, when I I thought that everyone was just like super baked. 
Yeah. I'm just like, I guess that's just what it is. Maybe <laughs> I should just do the same, follow suit. And I mean, so it I, might, that might actually be to some degree that probably actually is what it is. Currently, I think that, well, yeah. now there's like this, the thing in Portland that's growing so fast that like everybody's moving from Chicago or California mm-hmm. and they're bringing those driving tendencies with them that it's yeah. now completely flipped and now it's just like complete yeah. jerk drivers. I, I weirdly miss the days of the super baked motorist yeah. letting everybody pass in front of them. And <laughs> oh, well. You alluded to this earlier, so this idea of kind of getting like hold up in your place and wanting to go home, I guess, you know, maybe working all day and then wanting to go home and just watch Netflix. And I I wonder, I mean, one, it's sort of that relates back to what I was talking about again before the mics came on about this idea of, I mentioned to you that the first time I went to South by Southwest, that there's, there's this kind of melancholy of walking down that main drag. What is it? Like fifth? Uh, Six. Six. And walking past a bar and there's three levels and there's three bands playing at the same time. And there's just just this sort of like sense of hopelessness when it comes to being an artist and, you know, really hoping to have impact on people when you're one of eight million bands. And I I think maybe that holds in New York City on a nightly basis at the same time when you're like, I'm living here because there's all of these amazing things that I could be doing at any one time. Mm But you're just like, well, I could just go out tomorrow and there'll be 8 million other amazing things to do. A lot of it is like, in terms of, from a band's perspective, like looking to be discovered or whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's, if you're in that, it, you know, if you're in that environment, your chances are percentages wise, probably much higher, you know what I mean? Than if you're in Portland, for example. Yeah. But um, also I think honestly, a lot of it is just the right time at the right place and just like, sure. just getting lucky. Like, yeah. I mean, you can do as much as you can in terms of like social media strategies and things like that. But I think that like the attention is kind of a bit of a, you know, just a, a craps shoot. Oh yeah. For a South by Southwest, it's like that record guy just, you know, rolled into just that saw one you. show. Yeah, he, totally. he was there for another band mm-hmm. and, and you impressed him because you guys were having a good night. For sure. Like that. For sure. The other side of that too, and this is something I actually talked to a lot of, especially indie rock bands at, at a certain level where they're trying to figure out that, you know, they've been around for 10 years and are trying to figure out whether or not, the dwindling audience how much of that is just because you know their their fan base is getting older and it gets harder you know you have people have family kids you have kids yeah, exactly again you just get tired after work and then how much of it is just sort of a symptom of like of 2018 of having to compete with you know eight million other entertainment forms yeah well this has been around since like akron i mean we noticed that exact thing yeah. like i mean we had been around for well i guess close to 10 years at that point um and like we had noticed that like you know the tours were not quite as full as they were and in places specifically like the one city I noticed it most was Montreal when mm. we first started touring Montreal was like the most amazing town for yeah. us to play like live it was just always off the rails and just so much fun and, and right around really the time great. the band would, would be really picking up would be you know you'd have like Wolf Parade you had mm-hmm. 8 million you know stars mm-hmm. all these amazing bands coming yeah. out of Montreal yeah yeah and there was a yeah and rabid music fans as well you know yeah. like people that wanted to see all these things and so um, but then over the years it started to like you know diminishing returns and I didn't know if we were just like oversaturating or if it were if every band was oversaturating because actually you know you know what it was when we put out our first record it was right around the time that people stopped buying CDs and just started downloading everything and that forced bands to go on the road more. So you can't, because you, you, you're not going to make a living off of selling yeah. records unless you're, you know, doing, I mean, I don't even know what artists, I mean, mainstream sure. artists, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. But also it was, it was not that it's gotten that much better, but it's maybe a little easier to monetize now because there's actually like legitimate services out there. Mm, for sure. You were competing against Napster at that point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, now there's like Spotify's and streaming yeah. services that do pay um, some, something. Some money. Which, yeah. Uh, better than nothing. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it forces bands to go out on the road and um, and do that, which is, you know, it's cool because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like music translates 
really well live. And I think that if you can go out and perform for someone, that's that's a really special gift. You know what I mean? To be able to like share that experience with people. You know, it's just, I think it's it's cool. Like an, an energy that's created there with you and other people in the room is a unique experience every time it happens. Sure. So that's the nice thing about it. I mean, is that part of what happened to, to Akron is, is, was sort of diminishing returns? No, I, I mean, we, the, the energy of the shows, I think that it was, we always had, you know, we always tried to bring it as much as we could. And the shows, I don't think the shows themselves suffered necessarily. Yeah. The attendance did, but I feel like, like you were saying, maybe people age out of it or whatever it is, you know, I can't quite tell what it was. And we didn't, you know, take the most prudent steps or whatever to kind of like further our career. Like, you know, we just kind of like just haphazardly were like, we're making music and this yeah. is, you know, just the one focus that we have instead of like doing like what most businesses do and plan to grow in whatever ways you can. I'm not entirely sure how you build, grow a band. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it but, out one of these days. Yeah, we'll figure it out someday. But Start playing yeah. ska music and get the trumpet <laughs> yeah, players Exactly. In. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Reinvent yourself. <laughs> New fans. Younger I mean, fans. Was, was that part of what it was too? I, I don't know if I would necessarily say that that, that project was part of a scene but there but that kind of music was a big thing for a while and then it, and then it sort of you know people lost interest a little bit yeah yeah for sure like, and, and what do you what do you do when that happens i mean do, yeah. you, do you take the ingredients to try to make something new do you just soldier on well it's weird because i mean you definitely i look back and i see i you know records from artists that are so like incongruent with their catalog before and yeah. i'm like were they just chasing the trends here or just authentically trying to reinvent themselves or why do they take such a left turn and and maybe it was just because they're that they do exactly what you're saying, where they just try to like kind of like see where music's at and then sure. follow it. But I would I don't think that that's a healthy attitude to take. No, it's a li- and it's a little bit cynical. But you know, I, certainly there are cases where, and I can completely un- understand this when you you know you hear something new mm-hmm. and you're really attracted to it, and that sort of causes you to go in a new direction. Yeah, absolutely, inspiration. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But it, but it felt like that project had kind of run its course. Well, it was like a combination of things. I feel like a lot of it was starting a band when you're in your when you're 20 years yeah. old and you don't necessarily outline boundaries and you don't necessarily know how to like um, clearly uh, voice your just you don't really communicate very well. Mm. And so like baggage collects over time and it just builds up and like relationships are stressed because of it. Yeah. And so like it's it's hard. It's a hard dynamic to like, you know, it's like having another, you know, a significant other. Yeah, that you know you don't get the benefits of sex with, you know what I mean? You just I mean, get every everything else, you know. And so <laughs> you can't <laughs> you play it by ear. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can do whatever you want, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, it's like it's not advised. But it's not advised. <laughs> Inevitably, down the road, you're gonna have those those yeah. those conversations. You know, you've been in a band with this guy for three months, and like it just blows up. And so like these things collect over time, and it's if you don't unpack it and like really try to maintain that relationship it, it it suffers and so like i feel like with that band it, it kind of like things had gotten to a point where like yeah. we tried to repair it but it was like i don't know it just everything felt like it was time to just sort of like let it have a break for a while and just like breathe and just like put it down and you know if we come back to it that's fine but if not we're all doing our own thing Indefinite we're creative hiatus. individuals exactly yeah. we're all creative individuals on our own and we're doing our own things now so it's i mean and it's more satisfying for me i mean playing with justin I had, you know, before Akron, we did it like every day of our lives. Well, I was going to say, it's really funny that you're like, oh yeah, you know, that we, we had been in a band for too long and it kind of ran, ran its course. So I'm going to start, you know, a band with this dude that I've been playing with since <laughs> I was 12. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is that we never got that experience of like the, we were like, we, 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 the last band we had, we stopped playing when we were like 19 20. or 20. Yeah. yeah. 20. And so we didn't really have like the drama that comes uh-huh. with 
I don't know what yeah. you just had the what fun. changes, yeah. but yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it was the just the high joy school of playing fun. music. Exactly, exactly. Dana went on the road for ten years, so I saw him maybe twice a year. Yeah, yeah. And that friendship was even more valuable. Like as the years went on, I appreciated it more because you know he's basically my brother, you know, and that's something that as the years went by, yeah, you just really start to your eyes start to open up, and you're like, oh yeah, you're back in town. We're hanging out every day until you have to leave again. Oh, you leave tomorrow. Bummer. Okay, yeah. let's have you fun. Pick up yeah. where you, you know? left off, and it's and easy. And then, and... and then, uh, yeah, I think it was 2011. Dana sent me the demos for the first Dana Bowie record, and asked me what I thought, and I thought they were great. And then a year later, he asked me to go on tour with him, mm-hmm. uh, the first uh, Dana Bowie tour with Youth Lagoon. Yeah, and then it was shortly after that I decided to move to Portland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been playing ever since. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of simmering in the background for mm-hmm. a while. 2012 is yeah. where 11 yeah. 12 was when it started yeah and then and then so we had a the one where the first release came out in 2012 with Lefsa records and um and it kind of <laughs> I I I'm trying to be diplomatic here but oh good no 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 it's a podcast no no need to be diplomatic <laughs> the guy the, the the fellow had some life situations that yeah. allowed him to dropped the ball pretty hard so okay. it was like you know didn't get any attention because of that and so yeah, you know it was frustrating to like pour like sure you know so much of your time and effort into but yeah so like we did that record um came out 2012 and then uh released an ep a few years after that and then this current record was um different in the way that i was under no obligation to like fulfill a contract in terms of like you need to have x amount of records done by mm. this date um it was just like just writing a record to write a record. And so, you know, we had all the time in the world. And so it was like really nice to be able to kind of like just sit with a song for months at a time and just kind of like do revisions and like rearrangements and just imagine it in a lot of different ways. But it's a little frustrating because if you don't have a deadline, it's hard or boundaries. It's yeah. hard to like make decisions, you know, because yeah. you don't have to, you know. And so like having that freedom was really nice. I never really had that freedom in the ways of writing music. So it was it was cool to, to have that and, and refreshing and and honestly, I'm really stoked with where the music ended up, you know, for this new record. So that ability to sort of stretch your legs is not something you would have gotten in New York. Not necessarily, because I mean, like when I in Portland, I, yeah. you know, I was still um, making money from touring with Akron, you know, and so I had like financial flexibility to not work a job. And so when I get I, and, I, and when I'm not on tour, I just wake up in the morning and go downstairs and to my studio and start writing and, mm. you know, and that's it. And so that was great. What were the two of you doing in the last, during the last, I guess, four or five years in between records? Um, just uh, spacing out. <laughs> <laughs> just really enjoying the Portland vibe, yeah, man. man yeah. This, yeah, this project over the past four years has seen three different arrangements, mm-hmm. like lineups. lineups. Yeah. So um, it started as a duo, and then we added a third member, a drummer. We actually changed the sound quite a bit. Yeah, with it, that iteration, it went a very different direction. yeah, yeah. Well, the new the new record and the last one are two vast. I mean, they sound like two completely different bands. Different, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then and that was kind of the result of the trio. Yeah, what we were doing. And then when we decided to go back to a duo, because that seemed to work the best for us in a lot of different ways. Then, uh, yeah. And then we kind of took elements from the trio, like mm-hmm. the more rock element of it, and then also electronic element of it i guess the first record maybe wasn't in some ways aesthetically too far removed from the akron stuff right i mean yeah well it was like much poppier yeah so i mean but aside from that it definitely had like the kind of like space out sort of more 
atmospheric sound vibe, you know, and that was, and I mean, that's just inherent in my writing, I think, um, which is evidenced in both bands, but, um, but yeah, and this one, this new record has definitely got more of like a nighttime feel, in my opinion. Like, yeah. You know, it's more like the it's a, it's lights kind of a dance record, down. at least in points. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, well, that was the, the goal when I, when I first set out to write it, like literally every single song on the record started with four on the floor, just, just yeah. boom, 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 relentless, like, and that's, and that was the starting point. And, um, you know, as a drummer, like I, I'm, you know, can come up with beats pretty easily. And so it was, I was, I, I liked the idea of trying like just in the same palette, just at different BPMs yeah. for like an entire album, just to hmm. kind of like, cause I wanted to make a dance record. Cause I, I think that those, um, experiences the same, live. The same beat, but just sped up and slowed down throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's how it started. I mean, yeah. obviously I changed it to like meet yeah. different songs and things like that. Some songs still do have just the four on the floor on the, on the entire song, but, um, um, but yeah, that's where they all started. And so, but because the intention was definitely to make a dance record, to make something that was like, you know, movable. So. You, you consider yourself a drummer first? Uh, no, I guess not. I mean, well, it was my principle in Akron for so long that I just, you know, in, inherently sort of default to that as my. But I mean, principle. it's just interesting. I mean, the end result is often really different when that's the foundation yeah. you know, for a lot of, given the fact that so many people who write songs are guitar players or piano players, the right. drums in a way are kind of an afterthought. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my first instrument was uh, the saxophone and the, and the upright bass at the same time. My brother played the bass and he taught me upright Not while I was learning. actually at the same time because that would be impressive. No, that would be pretty awesome, right? <laughs> totally. Sax and you would need this and, guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start practicing that. So <laughs> just kidding. But yeah, and then I then I got a guitar and then drums were like yeah. the last instrument I came to, but the one that I was most drawn to. Yeah, I, I love drums. Um, but, but yeah. You guys weren't uh, no, no concerns about sort of authenticity or coming off silly when it came to putting out a dance record? No, man. I mean, it's a genuine expression of uh, things that I'm into. You know, I think that it's like, you know, well, both of us are into. I think that we yeah. like both generally love electronic. We love synths. We love dancing. And so, you know, putting them all together is a, it's a true expression of, of what we're where we're coming from. So when you're leaning really heavily on, on the live show, too, I mean, that makes a huge difference. Right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're sort of coming from a world of a bunch of people standing around with their arms crossed. Right. And that's, that's a hard, yeah, that's a hard situation. It, it is. I mean, and, and, you know, and you sort of like understand it, you know, this isn't necessarily like dance music that you're creating, but like if that if it's that day in, day out and it, it's really it's kind of hard to gauge an audience's reaction as you're playing if they're just sort of standing there yeah. at best nodding their heads yeah i went to see a band i guess it was a couple of years ago at this point i won't name the band but like it was at the crystal ballroom in portland which mm -hmm. is like a 1500 maybe capacity room and it's a sold out show yeah right and this band is playing and this room is just just, just absolutely still and like and i don't know if they're just if they're if they're enjoying it or not or what's happening and i'm like i'm bored and I'm looking around, and everybody's just kind of like, you know, it's like spacing out a little bit. And he's got a great voice, and the singer, but like, I don't know. It was just, there was no activity, and it made yeah. no sense to me. I was just kind of like, we're all standing in a room together, but we're just standing here, not doing anything. Guys, come on. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, move us. You know, that's what I wanted to see. And so, like, for me, like a live experience, I want that to be the, the, the thing that happens, you know, like, and in Akron shows, like the most successful moments were the ones where, like, it was just going off the rails, and people were just losing their minds, just like, letting loose and just dancing you know that was the most fun for me and so that was part of the reason i was so attracted to dance music was because of that element of just like really just getting into it and losing yourself and like just going with the moment and like you're free now and like there's no other concerns you know so it's a saying it's uh if you can get one person to dance you've done your job mm -hmm. 
That's what we're trying to do. When the first album, when it's it's the first thing that you guys are working on and it relates a long time, and for you, it's the first thing that you're doing aside from this successful project, when it doesn't really go anywhere, I mean, there's got to be a bit of a crisis of confidence after that. Was there soul searching that happened? Was it after the first release? Yeah. Yeah. When you pour your soul into something and it just lands with a dull thud. It's incredibly deflating, man. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, that's, you know, you're absorbed by this for a long time, you know, yeah. and you, you definitely put a lot of love and a lot of energy into it. And to and see it like, this is like not expression of me. Exactly. And if, and if to see it not translate the way that you vision it translating yeah. is it's, it's hard. But I mean, at the same time, you got to realize that it's like you know. I think that it's exposure that it lacks, and so I mean, you, you know, that's not a realization you come to right away, though. That that takes no. a while. That takes no. some distance, definitely, definitely. To realize that it's not just like I'm a I'm bad at my job, and right. people don't want this thing. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. It's just like I was saying with right place and right time. Yeah. Perhaps that's part of it, and so. But then it's like you know, you see records like that have that are from the '60s or '70s sure. that are now not that I'm claiming my music will be that. Velvet Underground. Yeah, yeah. That we're and maybe not yeah. as you know popular at the time, but now we're looked yeah. back on as like gems, you know. So I mean, there's always that possibility too. A piece of art that's made is gonna live out there. So I kind of relate the flop to uh, being dumped. You know, mm. it takes uh, several months, maybe a year, to like kind of understand, you know, where you're at yeah. and what the, your next move is, the next creation. Yeah, I mean, it. it you know, you're you're hoping for a while that maybe it's just gonna gain momentum. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we also have like a, a lot of our friends, you know, it's it's a hard thing, but, um, you know, they there's a lot of disappointment at times, mm-hmm. but uh, every single one of them gets back up at some point and comes out with something great, you know. And even if it, you know, doesn't uh, really shine through the noise, it's still amazing, you know. It's still something that I think is better than their last effort. And it's just, you know, as long as you're getting better, I think you'll you'll hit something at some point. What is the coping mechanism when you know you realize that you had done this thing that you'd really given it your all, and this is the best thing you can create, and it didn't go anywhere? Is it to go out and and start making music again immediately, or do you sort of like need, like you said, it with a breakup, you go out there and try to sleep with as many people yeah. as possible, or take, do you kind of like I'm going to take gigs. a break away from this for a little bit? Nah, man, just pick up the pieces. Yeah. You know, just- keep going you know what i mean it's like that's that that's what artists do you know it's like i mean not everything that you write is going to be a hit or a success you say that but so. it's been five years since the last record so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that it's but that's not the only music we've yeah. written in the past time in the past five years yeah i mean that and you know you just walk around the corner of the bridge city collective and get yourself a nice pre-roll and space out is it a chance to hit reset i wonder how much of that first record and second record being just complete like sounding like entirely different bands whether that was an opportunity for you to just sort of like, hey, let's just let, let's try something new. Yeah. Obviously, if you had found a lot of success on that first record, for a lot of artists, the impulse is to just you know mimic sort of that. Like, sound. But then that, yeah, not right. not to make the same record again. But people like this for a certain reason. That's your thing. You don't yeah. want to throw a curveball at yeah. them with the second record. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, no. I don't think that it was like an intentional veering off course of you know. I I just don't yeah. think that I am really the, you know. I don't think that we're the kind of writers that like stay in one specific sure. box. You know what I mean? The first record has like danceable elements to it, you know, and electronic elements to it. So it's like similar in that way. The tone is different. Like whereas one is much more, you know, sun t- sunshine, and the other is much more nighttime. So it's kind of like. So I mean, in that sense, it relates yin and yang balance sort of up. Maybe the reason it's dark is darker is because you know I was proper bummed out that the first one didn't make it. It was like. Well, 
you're saying darker that it's like in a tonal aspect. Music. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, do you think the second record is tonally darker? Yeah, absolutely. Because the first I mean, one, the first one to me is a lot more major, a lot more like sunshine. Yeah. In, 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 I mean, granted, I haven't had a lot of time with it, but maybe I'm just being thrown up by the fact that it's a dance record. Yeah. To me, that's just like automatic vibe right? right but i mean there's a lot of melancholy in there a lot of you yeah. know some sadness but things that you notice as a songwriter that somebody the first time they're putting the record on isn't necessarily going to notice that this sure. dance song has some yeah. <laughs> bummer themes to it you're right? absolutely right yeah you're absolutely right yeah are you noticing a, a marked difference with regard to the way people interact with the new music absolutely absolutely um i think that yeah i i feel like the first record we didn't i it's i it was so long ago that i'm trying to like remember what the yeah. crowds were like but I mean, that Youth Lagoon tour, was that like, what were those? Did they did they uh, like us? <laughs> I think we got a good reaction yeah. with Youth Lagoon. I think the noticeable difference, so with this record, these songs, a lot of them we've been playing for over two years live. Mm. And with, with the trio before this, and then when we made it more dancey as an electronic duo, that's when I noticed more dance floors moving, you know, more people dancing around and getting jiggy with it when you're a couple dudes up there playing like you know like you said sort of like airy softer songs mm-hmm. people when people don't know you it's a hell of a lot harder to win over an audience isn't it i think that if you have like the voice that's yeah. going to be the the winning factor in yeah. that in that in that um scenario when you're me and you don't necessarily have the voice <laughs> four on the floor is going to help you out a lot yeah <laughs> it's easy to connect to it's there it's um it's a good starting point of very, you know, nice common denominator for people to, you know, understand. Um, and then you paint your story on top of that. So it is kind of funny, though, that you go from, again, playing folk music, uh, freak, folk. freak folk music. Please. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> you go from playing freak folk music in New York. Of course, there was there was a freak folk and anti folk scene, but there is some irony of in moving to Portland moving to the woods and playing nighttime <laughs> dance music. You're, you're aware of this, right? I know. I've got it all backwards my entire life. It's just been upside down, man. How much does being there... How Maybe it's is... because I miss it. Oh. Oh. Is that well, what is this it, is? Is that the sort of thing of, of, you know, of like you like you need distance to write about your life? Yeah, perhaps. Like best viewed from a distance. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Did you just crack the code? I, maybe. Oh, my God. <laughs> There you go. That was Dana Jansen and Justin Miller of Dana Bowie. The new record, Ice Glitter Gold, is out now. Thanks so much to them for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Caroline for helping set up that conversation. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to go for RIYL-related information. If you've got any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and that's uh, that's just about it for this week so stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL